Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, we're going to be continuing a series from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. But perhaps you're looking for a church to call your own, a place to connect with other believers and to study and to grow in your relationship with Christ. Let me encourage you to check out Calvary Baptist Church. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. Call us at 479-442-4634 or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. We would love to have you worship with us. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This week, I have the opportunity to share from the pulpit, and we're going to be looking again at Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, as we talk about our mighty God. Let's listen together. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 6 and 7. If you haven't already turned there, again, that's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is always a privilege for me to get to share. This week, I had the opportunity to prepare two messages. Now, nobody gets to hear the first one because it was for a class at seminary, uh, but it is always such a privilege to be able to dig into God's Word and to see what God's Word has for us. This last several weeks, I've been taking a hermeneutics course. The idea, idea behind that is how you interpret God's Word, how you apply God's Word, and then for the purpose of teaching. That's one of Midwestern's key things is that it needs to be for the church. And I'm so excited to, to be able to take that. And as I studied and as I looked, it just made me think, okay, what did the original audience of Isaiah, what were they thinking? So we'll be looking at in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we'll be reading that in a moment as well. But last week, Pastor Kirk began her message by talking about baby announcements. I'm always fascinated by them. They always share a, a picture, a birth weight, and a length, and then a time and a date that the child entered the world. They also share the baby's name. And baby's names are interesting. They go through cycles and, and mean all sorts of things. This week, I looked at a, a list of top 100 girl names and 100 boy names for the year 2022. Did you know that the top name for girls this year has been Olivia? We have one of those here. However, there isn't a sign of a temple on that list. Not even close. And it's not a surprise. We never find anything with my wife's name on it unless we special order that item. Now, the top name on the boys' list was Liam. Daniel is there, but you have to go all the way down to number 25 to, to get there. In 10 years, though, that list is it's going to look different. Um, and what do I mean? Well, if you look around our church, we have about four men of a similar age bracket that have the name Stephen or some form of it. <laughs> We're not done. We have two other men who are close to the same age that share the name David. And then we have two other men who are similar in age and share the name Jason. And it's just how that works. Names uh, go through cycles. And I want to say around the time that, you know, Jason and Jana and Temple and I were all growing up, Michael was a big name. So there were a lot of Michaels in school and Mikes. Um, but they, they change and it cycles through that. It's this idea of names. And I want us to think about as we begin our message today. 
Names mean a great deal. I think about those baby announcements. Hours and hours are spent picking what people hope are going to be that perfect name. I'm sure my parents never thought that my students in youth group would decide the rhyming game would be fun with my name. Dan the man with the plan who drives the van. And if you ask them, I think there's more on that list. It's in all their phone contacts, and so you can ask any of them. I was named Daniel Gene Carson. That's my full name. I was named after my great-grandfather, a Pentecostal holiness preacher, and my grandfather, a hardworking, intelligent man who faithfully took care of his family. Your name may mean something special to you as well or something to your family. My son is Joseph Riley Carson. He was named after an uncle and after a great-grandfather. You may have been named after a family member or someone of great importance. You may have been named because of the meaning that name holds. Names are significant. They hold meaning. The names that Isaiah used here in Scripture speak of the importance of who the coming Messiah was going to be. It was not just another man or just another leader. It was not a godly hero that was going to come onto the scene. It was much more. This was to be God's chosen, and that needed to be reflected in his name. And so as we've looked at this passage of Scripture last week, and then we'll be doing that the next two weeks after this one, it's important for us to understand what Isaiah was sharing. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and, six and 7, for to us a child is born, for us, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold it up with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these moments when we can come together, we can look at your word we thank you for a season where we can celebrate how you sent Jesus into our world to, to bring hope and to bring peace and to bring salvation. Father, we are thankful for that great gift. We know that it was a costly one. I just ask in these moments as we look at your word that you will help us to better understand what we need to do, who we need to be, and how we need to worship. For you are mighty and you are worthy of praise. Father, I ask that you forgive us where we fail you. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Well, last week, Pastor Kirk talked with us about the name Wonderful Counselor. We find in Isaiah um, 9-6, he described for us how the coming Messiah, that, that the Jewish people were waiting on, would be that perfect counselor. As a marriage and family therapist, my wife works with clients and helps them through a wide range of issues. Some are in places of fear. Some are struggling with trauma. Others are dealing with depression. And she'll be the first to tell you that she isn't perfect, but she faithfully looks to the Father as she addresses her clients' pains and their hurts. The coming Jesus would be a perfect counselor, and he has been. A perfect counselor that would know people's hurts without having to ask. He would provide hope to the hurting. In addition to sharing about Wonderful Counselor, he shared with us four things that I want us to briefly go back over, that as we look at this passage of Scripture, especially uh, verse 6, 
I want us to understand these four things. First of all, the birth announcement is sent early. We need to understand birth announcements are usually sent after the fact. I know that there's a great deal of excitement about reveal parties on what families are going to have. Are they going to have a girl or a boy? And if you watch any number of videos, you'll see where there are great things that fall apart and cakes cut and there's no blue, there's no pink, there's white cake. Or they, they pop a balloon and nothing comes out or it's a mixture, it's confetti and it's all different colors. But a birth announcement is usually sent after the baby is born. Now, in our culture, in our time, often that'll take the place and we'll see it on social media or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, those places. But a birth announcement is sent after the fact. But this birth announcement was sent early. It was sent before the fact. The second thing that we learned last week was that Isaiah announces a royal birth. This is a celebration of not just some normal person that was coming onto the scene. This was a high, heavenly birth. The third thing was that the baby has four different names here. Now, again, most of us in American culture, we have three names, first, middle, last. Sometimes we'll have more than that, uh, sometimes less. But for me, Daniel Gene Carson, that's my full name. If you see it on my driver's license or some of the diplomas that I have hanging in my office, different places, my parents thought along and hard about that name, and they wanted it, so I try to honor them as much as I can when it's announced somewhere. Yes, my name is Daniel Gene Carson. That was their choice. But this baby had four names, and we have looked at that a little bit last week. We'll be looking at that today as well as the next two. It's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And there are other names for Jesus. If we look back to Isaiah 7, 14, what do we find? Emmanuel, God with us. That's one of my favorites. I love singing songs with that. This understanding that God is with us when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it is easy, when it is time to celebrate, when it is time to mourn, God is with us. He is our Emmanuel. The fourth thing that we saw last week, these names belong only to God. This wasn't just about some man that was going to, about to come onto the scene. In prophecy circles, when you are evaluating a prophecy, there's often an immediate as well as a long-term prophetic word, knowing that there's going to be someone coming onto the scene that is going to fulfill these names. And that's just not the case here because of who was being described. You would not call somebody who is going to come onto the scene in a normal sense mighty God or everlasting Father or Prince of Peace. These were names that belonged only to God. So as we look at our passage this morning, I want us to think in terms of what the original audience might have thought. Pastor Kurt shared with us last week that these were the names that could only belong to God. They were not references, again, to some godly hero, but a man who would be God himself. There were names that would only fit one person in history, the coming Messiah, his name is Jesus. However, as Isaiah shared this message, his original audience would have thought about the stories that were a part of their narrative. And what do I mean there? Well, think about your own life. There are stories that are told in your family. Maybe it is your birth story and your parents told you that story about what happened or how they met or 
um, all the different things in life and maybe about the first car they drove or the, the list goes on. Those are all a part of our narrative, of our story. Well, the Jewish people were very much all about those stories and not just their immediate family, but their story as a chosen people set apart. They look different than anybody else around them. This story stretched back for centuries, back to the days of creation. That was the story that they told to one another. You know, we have the privilege of, well, we can go back and look in our Facebook and see our memories from 12 years ago. If you've been on Facebook as long as I have now, you can go back and see and like, oh my goodness, my kids were tiny. I didn't have any gray hair and life changes. That's all a part of my story as well. Yesterday, was it just yesterday? No, it was the day before. Getting to be at the, the Bur- Josh Burns wedding. That was an exciting. Now that's a part of my story too. And that was a part of his story. Last January, watching my son after he had spent some hard times physically to rejoice and to celebrate and to to get married. That's all a part of my story. But think about the stories of the original audience. That's what we're going to look at as we think about a mighty God today. This morning, I want us to look at five areas that God clearly has power in. I want us to see the coming Messiah as the Jewish people of Isaiah's day might have considered after hearing Isaiah's prophecy. You see, we have the privilege of looking back on all of it. We get to think back, okay, well, Jesus fulfilled this, and the the Israelites experienced that. They didn't have that. They were still waiting for the Messiah to come onto the scene. But they did have God's story of how he impacted their lives. Ultimately, I want us to see today that the coming Messiah of Isaiah's day is the powerful Jesus that came that first Christmas and understand that our mighty God has power over it all. No matter the difficulty that you're facing, no matter the hardship, no matter the uncertainty, and that's, that's a lot of what, what brings us stress, is just not knowing if we know, then, then we can evaluate and, and go forward. But sometimes it's just that uncertainty. But we need to understand that God is sovereign. God is in control and that he has power over it all. We're going to look at five things today as we look through um, our mighty God. First of all, our mighty God has power over creation. Again, think back to his original audience. They told the story of creation. They looked back on the days of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This was their story, talking about how God had power over creation. So as he describes him as a mighty God, a powerful God, they thought to this God who brought everything into existence. But the great thing is we look forward from this point In the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see Jesus. And Jesus is listed in in, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was that agent of creation. He was the Messiah to come. He was the mighty God that was listed there. If you look over in (coughs) Colossians 1, verse 15, it says he is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is that agent of creation. He is the mighty God that has power over creation. I think it's important for us to pause just a moment. When we think about creation, we think, well, I'm going to go create this piece of work, this piece of art, this photograph, this piece of music. We're going to create. We rearrange. We pull things together. But God is the one who creates. And creating is bringing something out of nothing. That's the power that our mighty God has. The second thing that I want us to see is that our mighty God has power over countries. He has power over uh, rulers and dominions and earthly governments. If we look back, again, thinking about our original audience, the Israelites, as Isaiah wrote and shared this prophecy, they would be thinking back to how did God have power over the countries that they dealt with? God brought the Israelites up and out of Egypt because of his mighty power. They told the story of the Exodus. This is a story that is still so much a part of Jewish life. And it expresses how strong and powerful God was. God brought about a change in the government at that moment. He's the one who did that. You know, if we look in the New Testament, we can see these same things, but the course of human history would have been made different because of the entry of one little child. As Jesus came onto the scene, we look and we think about how he impacted our world and how he's impacted countries. Remember, there was great persecution for the early Christians. We find that not just from Jewish, the Jewish people themselves, but as the, the time went on more and more. But then Christianity got a hold of our world and got a hold of governments, and the world has been changed. And, and countries like ours that had its beginnings with hopes of expressing religious freedom and those type of things, that all happened because God has power. Our mighty God has power over countries. He is the one that we celebrate. He is the one that we look to. He is the one that is sovereign over every bit of human history. The third thing I want us to look at is that our mighty God has power over the physical world. And I think, well, we talked about creation. Yes, but there are some people that believe that God created the world, set things in motion, and then steps aside. It's a watchmaker's philosophy about creation. But God has control of everything that he put into motion. Our mighty God has power over the physical world. In the Old Testament, during the great exodus from the Egyptian rule, God allowed the Israelites to cross the Red Sea on dry land, and he then used that same ocean to swallow up Pharaoh's army as they pursued Exodus 14, beginning in verse 21 and going on down to verse 31, you can read that story. And you can see how God had control over the physical world that he had created. And he used Moses, and that sea split apart. And then the Egyptians were swallowed up. But it doesn't stop just in the Old Testament, knowing that God has control, our mighty God has power over uh, the physical world. If we look to the New Testament, we see Jesus 
doing the same thing. We know that the, he was the Messiah that was prophesied about. In Matthew 8, verse 23, the Bible says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, and he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? What sort of man was this? He was our mighty God. He was the Messiah that the people had been waiting for, and he had power, and he had power over the physical world where he could rebuke the winds and they would calm. He does the same sort of things in our lives. As we face the storms, maybe it's the emotional storm that's in our hearts and our minds that we can't seem to get past, but when we turn to Jesus, say, Jesus, help me in these moments, he can and he will be there for us because he is a mighty God and he has power over physical, our physical world. The fourth thing I want us to see is that our mighty God has power over sin. If we look to the Old Testament, God had established a sacrificial system to paint the picture of the coming sacrifice of the one. But then we look to the New Testament. <coughs> we see that Jesus forgave sin while he walked on this earth. Luke 5, 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus, this Messiah that Isaiah was looking towards, had power over sin. And as Jesus walked on this earth, as he experienced his earthly ministry, he forgave sins as a part of what he did. Today, Jesus still forgives sins in the lives of people throughout the world. He promises the ability to be made right before the Father because of the work that he has done. John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus has power over sin. Our mighty God has power over over sin. And if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with something in your life and you're thinking, I can't deal with this anymore, then turn it over to him. You think, well, nobody will understand. Well, he does. He will. And he'll be there for you. And number five, our mighty God has power over death. In the Old Testament, if we look at 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24, we see the resurrection of a a woman's son, and we know that, that God could still raise the dead. He did that before. And then in the New Testament, Jesus showed time and time again that he had the power of death, uh, power over death by bringing people back from the clutches of that death. Lazarus, the daughter of Jairus, the son of the widow. But then he did the amazing thing, the wonderful thing. He overcame the grave himself. He proved once and for all that our mighty God has power over death. 
There was, was and no need to fear death. Jesus has provided a way of escape and a hope for tomorrow. You see, death isn't the end, not for the believer. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, when the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Messiah, our mighty God, has power over death. We need to celebrate that. We need to rejoice in that. I haven't quite figured out if I am turning into a softie or if that's just what happens when you get older or if I've always been a softie. I don't know exactly. But I do know that when I start dwelling on the riches of heaven, And I start thinking about the glory of being before the Father. I look at it so much differently than when I was 25, 30 years old. And my heart is softened. And even as we worship up here and worship a God who has all of that waiting for us, there are times I can't sing because he is a great God who has power and he is the one who is in control you know, there's a song that we sang as Sunday school. If you were, grew up in a church, maybe you didn't, but maybe you heard this. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that my God can't do. We serve a mighty God. And what amazes me is that we sing that song as maybe we're three years old, maybe we're five, maybe we're 10. Or I think we sang it some at college, at Central Baptist College for kicks and giggles and fun things. But the truth is that we don't understand that until we get 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road and really understand that our God is mighty. Our God is big. Our God is able to help us when we don't think we know that we can't do it. He is there. He loves us. He cares for us. And he is a mighty God who has power. Our big and mighty God is a God of power. He has power over creation he has power over countries. He has power over the physical world. He has power over sin. He has power over death itself. What is amazing is that when Jesus left heaven to enter earth, he entered the world as a little baby. The very God of creation, all powerful, all knowing, poured himself into the body of a weak and a helpless little baby. I've tried to figure out how do you describe that? What, what does that look like? And I don't mean to be sacrilegious, if this even sounds that way. But maybe you've seen a video of a, someone dropping a Mentos, little mint, into a bottle of Diet Coke. And you'll see a great fountain of Diet Coke go up about 20 or 30 feet. And you drop a whole package of them, boom, I mean, it's just all sorts of chaos that goes on. But I think about all that power. God himself it's such a tiny little package, but it was contained. It didn't explode outward in any way. It was there, and he grew in strength and wisdom, and he grew and lived a perfect, sinless life so that we could have 
a relationship with him when he gave his life on the cross. The other way of looking at this is I just think about our smartphones. You know, we all carry these computers that are in our pockets. These computers that uh, outpace so many other things. I remember having a, a Commodore 64 in high school. I remember working on an Apple IIe in computer class in junior high. Um, my phone could do circles around that, no doubt. And it's amazing to know that there's all this little power in this one little box, but understand that that pales in the comparison to the very God in the universe being the package of a little baby. So when you sit with that, when you dwell with that, and know that God the Father, what he did through the Son, we should rejoice in the power of our mighty God. Learn to trust what he can do in our lives. We serve a mighty God. We worship a mighty God. We study about a mighty God. And because of all of those things, we can make it through the difficult days whenever they come. And there are. There are those days that we get the bad report about our health. There are the days when a relationship breaks down. There's days when our job just drives us nuts or we don't think we can make it or we get fired. But in all of those situations, God is there. He is strong. He is mighty. He is powerful. And he is there. Ultimately, he has the power to forgive your sin. He has the power to make you right before the Father. He has the power to mend relationships. He has the power to heal the hurting heart. The list goes on of ways that he can work and does work in our lives. And it's all because of what we find here as Isaiah wrote about this coming Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us, a child is born and a son is given. He has the power because he is our mighty God. For the Jewish people, the coming Messiah was to be powerful, something they looked forward to, and they didn't quite understand what that power is going to look like. But as we have the privilege of looking back and understanding what Jesus did and what he does in our lives, we understand that that Messiah was ever bit as powerful as we could hope for. For us, we see that Jesus fulfilled his prophecy and is still impacting the world today with his power. When you feel powerless, when you feel weak, when you feel like you can't go on, understand that you serve and you follow a God who is full of power because he is a mighty God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are and how you work in our lives. And I just ask that you help us. Help us to trust you when it is hard. Help us to follow you and to lean on you, and to know that there's nothing that you don't see and that there's nothing that you can't do. Just work in our lives and work here at Calvary, God. We want to follow and worship you, a mighty God. And we lift high your name today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. 
If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.